1: How's it going, Ben?
0: Good, good, man. Nice to nice to be finally talking to you in person.
1: Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that um, as I was getting ready here. I was like, you know, with all the things going on lately and like the last couple episodes I did on the podcast, it was like only inevitable that you and I were going to sit down at some point and do that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited we were able to make it happen like ASAP rather than, you know, later on.
0: Uh, I'm all about I'm all about ASAP. <laughs>
1: That's good, man. Like a lot, yeah. The first one I did there with Jeff, you know, there was probably twenty five percent of the the conversation was about you and Jeff and ATG and everything going on. And then the next one I did with Keegan, nice. Uh, we kind of you know linked everything together again. It comes back around to Ben Patrick and what what Ben's doing and stuff. And I've I've been really kind of diving into you specifically as a coach. And a person in these last three months, I think more than more than in the last year, right, is uh, linking with real movement now and the mentorship yep. side of things and what you've been providing that way. So uh, I'm really excited to sit down and talk about a few things.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to know more, you know, about your background as well, because I see you on social on a day-to-day basis, but just you know uh, how you got into all this as well.
1: Cool. Um, to, to, to kick off a few things here, uh, I just wanted to know, like, are you are you training today? If you are, what are you training? Uh, and, just, uh, yeah, yeah. And maybe just, like, what you're working on, because I did see a couple cool things this week going on. Um, I'm not sure if it's a rest week for you or if there's, like, some new things on the worksuit.
0: I mean, I never have a rest week. <laughs> 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 um yeah no I mean as far as today specifically i'm just home working online, so I enjoy my weekends in with uh my wife and my dog and so I have a little a little home studio here so i'll I'll definitely i like to stay active uh you know I like to get up from my desk and do something you know when you sit down for ten twelve hours um, so i'll do some stuff at home, but in general. In general, yeah, from home, I'll just do body weight, you know, dips, chins. I've got my, like, parallel bars, and I do my deadmills, my reverse deadmills every day. I love those. It's like keeps my cardio in, you know?
1: Yeah, I get the whole thing
0: on those, actually. Nice, (laughs) nice. And my wife will join me and do stuff as well out there, and I like to stretch at home as well. So just that kind of stuff. But in general, with my training… It's kind of like a mixture of of honestly trying to work towards my own goals as a basketball player with also trying to put my body through things for the sake of my clients. So I can't go as far as I would like. Like this weekend, I'm writing a program for throwers. And that's an example of an area that I can't go that far to turn my life upside down and, and start seeing how fast I can throw a baseball, how far I can throw a javelin. You know what I mean? I, I've i lived basketball and I've lived a sport where knees are just brutalized, but I haven't lived a sport where the shoulders brutalized, but people right. still yeah. want my help. So I'm writing them a program yeah. um, for a few guys. Um, I wish I could live it. You know, we, we've only got, we've got this one, you know, one lifetime is a long time. And unfortunately I can't go live that. But there are some other things I can live through, Um, you know, so I'm I'm planning in 2020 to do a lot more Olympic weightlifting and just kind of see how I can make it, you know, more accessible for athletes who really do want to do it. But as you and I both know, probably most athletes who want to do it really don't have adequate strength and flexibility that their time would be better off just just putting in more of the basics. So how do I how do I bring that to them? because if you want to do it and if that's going to really get you fired up for your workouts and make you happy, you know, that's it. That's half of training. I think is that you want to do it in the first place that your that your intentions in it. So that's an example of something I can really, you know, put my body through and, and live, you know, not only how to drive up the numbers, but how to safely learn the lifts for someone who's, you know, is not in that sport, but wants to use it for the power benefits. So as you can see, you know, I, I do a lot of different things with my training, and I honestly wish I could do more, but I really am committed to basketball, and so it, it, I can only stray so far so yeah my okay, training okay. my training ends up you know pretty varied, kind of going where my where my clients take me. yeah and I can only imagine with um, you know
1: the growth with you know you as a coach and ATG that there must be a much more broad range of clientele reaching out to you now with different um yeah. thoughts and, and training methods that, you know, looking to you for the knee stuff, but then looking for those opinions on like other ad- elements of training and stuff too. So I can imagine it's uh getting a little different that way too.
0: Yeah. I'm writing a program for cricketing this weekend. <laughs> um A guy who's in India and cool. he's one of the fastest and he's, we fixed his knee pain, but yeah. of course he wants, sir, please make me throw world record speed. You know, it's like, shit, like, I can't go live that, but I can break it down in slow motion. And I can sure as hell do my best to put together a program for it, you know?
1: Yeah, I, that's what I respect about you as a coach so much, too, is that you, you know, before you present something to these athletes or before you present a new idea, you, you put yourself through it yourself and show that, you know, this is what I found works best you know, with these strategies and, and I yep. think that's where coaching, you know, and like Keegan and real movement and everything is going that direction as well with, you know, how coaches are um, built in, into that mindset where, you know, you're, you're putting yourself through that and you're demonstrating that, you know, you are, you are able to do that or that you've, you know, done the trial and error to see if, if it's worth your time or not based yep. on your goals. Right. So yep. That's what's really cool about seeing you kind of um, putting yourself through that stuff as well. Um, well, that's cool. A lot of world records being broken right now too, I see.
0: <laughs> A lot of very minute, minuscule world records <laughs> that not very many people are trying for, but it's still fun in in, in the process.
1: Oh, it's cool to see that though. Like, uh, and then you know my brain starts turning too, and I'm like. Well, maybe I I could put some body weight on my back for some good mornings or, you know, things like that. You know, it's just like thinking, you know, gets people excited about like all the potential that's in those uh, those elements. Um, Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of knees over toes guy, because um, the excitement of what you're doing now and, you know, what's drawn to you and everything you're doing now, you know, that that pulls energy me towards you but hearing your backstory where you came from you know the lessons you've learned um turning points maybe in your career as an athlete and a coach like I'd like to you know hear a little bit more about that and and um even for the viewers and stuff and people listening you know hearing a little bit more about the evolution of
0: you kind of how everything got started totally so I lived the, the no knees over toes style. You know, your knee hurts, you do box squats. You're very sure not to put pressure on the knees, but I was obsessed with basketball. So I was kind of like the perfect guy for this because I remember my knees got so bad at one point that I was convinced to take a summer off from basketball. And I actually thought that my knees got better in that summer. And I was avoiding anything knees over toes. And I actually thought that was the answer for knees. And I thought I had figured out my knees. But as soon as I went back to basketball, I the, the problems were actually much worse. I tore up a bunch of stuff in my knee, had some pretty gnarly surgeries. So I realized from experience that that style of avoiding knees over toes, it's fine if you're trying to just go into the weight room and avoid knee stress in the weight room but then you wind up in life or in your sport with issues and at a certain point you have to connect the dots that what you're doing in the weight room actually has the chance to prepare you for what else you're doing and protect you from that and so it was literally I I was I, I have a pretty obsessive personality on anything that I try to do and for me that was basketball I mean I I once went like four years of shooting 500 shots a day, even if it was uh, Christmas or whatever. I mean, I've done so many things that were just nutty. This was from age like nine to 13. I shot 500 shots a day, every single day, birthday, (laughs) Christmas, Uh, at age four, I didn't spend a dime until age seven. I saved up a thousand dollars working every job I could, age four to seven to buy a Michael Jordan rookie card, which is worth a thousand dollars at the time. So that was just the personality I had, right? So so I read, I may not have gone to college for this kind of stuff, but by the time I even finished high school, I mean, gee, I mean, I remember even freshman year of high school, I was sitting in class, not paying attention, reading, reading, reading um, on my laptop, just studying sports performance. And, And so I did this for four years. I must have read tens of thousands of pages. So after my knee surgeries and stuff is when I decided cause I had already been struggling with my knees. So from about age 12 to 18, I struggled and it was finally at 18 that I just couldn't play through it anymore and, and had surgeries. And they said I had had stuff torn in my knee since I was like 14. I'd been just sitting with actual like structural tears. I'd been sitting with a fracture in my kneecap since I was 14. Um, So now, with all that background of already tens of thousands of pages I had read, all kinds of programs I had tried, every kind of jump program, now I was just looking for anything outside the box to fix my knees. Like, that was, my life was just, so for about three years, I didn't play basketball. I really didn't have any friends. I was lucky enough towards the very end of that to meet my wife, but I was just uh, an introvert studying and then experimenting in the gym studying experimenting in the gym and it was reading stuff from Charles Poliquin where he was saying basically the that I had to get as good as possible with my knees over my toes as far as they could go over my toes as deep as I could bend my knees and then and he gave examples and he recommended Keegan Smith and then I found videos of Keegan who was doing different squats and I think he even had some some examples of different reverse step ups. So that gave me some something I could look at and then go start experimenting in the gym. And I, I kid you not, like within two weeks of that, you know, coming from that basketball background where it's all this kind of uh, plyometric and balance performance training and the strength work, no knees over toes. So then within two weeks of this new stuff, honestly, I never looked back. And and my whole life since then has been about figuring out that science better and better and better and better. And then when I wanted to make like online coaching and, and, you know, try to get my name out there, I just came up with the name knees over toes guy because it would give me something on Instagram recognizable because I knew I wasn't just trying to market, you know, your average training. And so that's, that's the story up to now, you know, I, I really did live on both sides of that fence. And so now Sure, there's been times in the process where working on doing certain exercises hasn't been comfortable. That's been a big part of it for me is figuring out, okay, so you should squat ass to grass or whatever. But what if one of your knees has a bunch of junk in it and that hurts? Or, you know, how do you how do you progress into these things? But even even putting my body, treating my body like a rag doll for experiments, mm-hmm. I've still come out unscathed by continually operating towards greater and greater need protection in the weight room. And so someone who doesn't go through the hurdles that I did can, can bring about these changes without going through a lot of the pains that I did, which a lot of them were unnecessary pains of not knowing a way, not knowing how to regress different exercises. So it's, that's, you can see why I'm so passionate about it because that same passion I had for basketball I have that same passion now. And I mean, my last basketball session on the court two days ago, I had two NBA players, guys who are about my age, who are trying to work their way back into the NBA. So these guys have played one of them three years, one of them four years in the NBA, made a lot of money, been very successful. I I beat them both. And I'm a guy who was a nobody when they were superstars. They're guys who grew up in my area. And so, and I know they're not listening to this podcast. They don't give a shit about <laughs> strength training or flexibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the point is, I still have that same passion for basketball. And so you can see how meaningful it is to me to be able to go out and play without any pain, getting to live out my dreams of being able to, to cut and decelerate and jump high and, and do all these things. You know, so it's being able to live out my dream now it's still the same dream as when i was a kid it's just that love for the game of basketball and and now then being able to help other people experience the same thing it was like holy shit you know there's there's my life yeah. do this podcast when i'm 100 years old and you really are wasting your time because it'll be pretty much the same story it just <laughs> i'll just probably have some new <laughs> some new twists on it but though it'll be the you know it's a simple life. And I like um,
1: that initial dis- the thought there about the weight room that you said, you know, that going to the weight room to get strong and not necessarily think about those real life scenarios that you get in. Yep. And, you know, s- studying you and the ATG methods you've been bringing to the table, you know, the last six months. I think that's what you guys are doing the best at is that you're bringing those ideas and thoughts to the weight room like no one has done before. Um, you do see some of it in the movement culture side of things with like, Edo portal and some of those movement individuals talking about like, you know, training through these greater ranges, but it's more of like a body approach or some, like something that I think a lot of, athletes and stuff can't connect with but I think that's what you guys are doing the best at is you're changing the culture of the weight room so now um you're seeing athletes in the weight room you know training through range training for these real life scenarios like you know getting stronger that way whereas the old thought process was you know go to the weight room get super strong in this short range or whatever it takes to get strong and then next thing you know, your knees are over your toes on, on the court or yep. wherever you are and you're injured, right? So that's what's been really cool is seeing that that change in the weight room culture and, and we're seeing it change globally now with um, the coaches taking on mentorship with you through real movement, bringing that yep. to their dreams too. So um, yeah, I like that idea of like how the weight room culture is changing and that's really what I think you guys are doing an amazing yeah, job and I, too.
0: Yeah, and I think... I think that's where guys like you and me have a lot in common is that we don't we don't look at it like if our bodies are broken down and hurting, we don't disconnect the dots that, hey, we're responsible for that. Our training is responsible for that. And so I think that this style of like, you know, using your training to take responsibility for your health. And I think that's becoming sexier because people are starting to see. Like for me, I was dumbfounded when I started jumping higher. I was only trying to get rid of my knee pain. So then to see that the same thing that would bulletproof my knees would make me jump higher. Now, all of a sudden that became sexy. And then people wanted to train with me. Um, and then you can see that if you look in other areas. So even for me, this was like a, an interesting discovery and observation. And then you look at a lot of... Um, charles poliquin's athletes you know these are people who would seek him out for uh i can remember one guy who was like had really bad shoulder problems right and so he sought charles poliquin out for his shoulder problems but then ends up like breaking a world record in i don't know what it was like the shot put or something like that wins a gold medal so the the very thing holding back your pain whether it was a back pain or a shoulder pain or chronic hamstring injuries or finding out that the very thing causing the pain could be what's holding back your performance. Now it, it becomes sexy all of a sudden. Whereas before I think, I think we used to look at them as two separate things, performance right. yeah. training and training for health. I used to, and, and, and we used to think of training for health as basically being a pussy. Right? Right. right. And so I think now that people are seeing that, that the two are not disrelated. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what's gonna change things for people because we all want to, I mean, these principles, I've helped guys drive up their bench press or their squat or their deadlift and that's, that's what they want, but they're having the pain and then they come to me for the pain and then they, but they, they don't buy into it until they realize, holy shit, this connection. And, and then they actually experience it and they get stronger on what is the important thing to them in terms of performance. Right. So that's where I think we're really and we're not we're not there yet. Like. But we're you can see real changes occurring and you can even see certain athletes out there at the highest levels getting awareness of that, getting awareness that, okay, flexibility is not just, you know, something to be laughed at. It's actually what could make me millions of dollars. And so I, I think, you know. Guys like you and me I, I think we're just gonna keep pushing away and and keep getting more opportunities with high level athletes and but that's also why I think that me and you and Keegan and guys like that are starting to bond together because we realize that you know we can become an army ourselves and yeah. and there's so many there's just so many people, not just athletes you know there's just so many people that are hurting from a lack of awareness about you know how the weight room can either hurt or prepare your body. So, um, you know, I I think we're all shouldering that load and realizing that just by banding together, even if we never did have a premier athlete, we can still accomplish it ourselves. Whereas I think some of us in the past would kind of stay in our little corners of the world thinking that it would never really become popular. I know that's for me a few years ago. I just kind of, I hoped that I would eventually get a famous enough guy to speak out, but I, I never really tried to expand outside of my gym's walls. I didn't do social media. I didn't think people would buy in. So it's pretty cool now to see that, you know, bit by bit, that we have a growing little army.
1: Yeah, and seeing that yeah, I've been there too where you kind of think like the clients will speak, speak for the training, speak for you, or speak for itself through your clients, but you're seeing now like with your collaboration with real movement that it's like the coaches are you know becoming a part of it all and now the coaches are speaking for it all for their programming for their successes so um that's that's just been amazing to see is that through the mentorship of not just with clients but with coaches around the world um sharing the knowledge and sharing with those coaches so they can pass it on to other clients is like a totally different way to look at it now where it's not necessarily living through your clients, but you know, you know, living through the team and, and kind of like creating this army of coaches that are presenting this to everybody all over the world. It's like a, a totally different way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, and if you can, if you can as a coach yourself, you know, prove your product, it just increases your chances of success. I don't want to leave anything to chance. Yeah. So of course I could just be a coach, and I am just a coach. I don't get paid to play basketball, but I want to every guy that I work with, you know, I want to go out there and prove it. And every guy who's maybe thinking about my system online, I want to prove it because if it works, it should work. So it's just a way and and I have basically assembled a team of guys at ATG who think the same way that it's like, it's like, yes, we could just be coaches and we can sit here complaining about how guys who have no idea what they're doing have half a million Instagram followers and are training the top athletes in the world, or we can freaking do something about it and prove it and guarantee ourselves. So even guys I have working for me as form coaches that no one will ever see. I'm like, dude, you're my workout partner. We're making you a freak because that's just going to help our business that much more because we can, this stuff does work. So, you know, it's it's a different way of thinking about it, that it's taking more responsibility when you take full responsibility, you take you know, responsibility for all sides of the equation. So if you're a guy on the court who's. Who knows all the team plays and can direct his teammates around. But if you can also go be a beast and go dunk that thing yourself, now you're going to win. You're, you're guaranteeing that you're going to be a winner. So that's you know, it's to me, it's a responsibility thing. Yeah, you know, We got to go for it. We got to take our shot. We have to do as much as we can with our own bodies to help, you know, prove our product.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: there seems to be
1: like a lot of discussion too around like um, people making that disconnect between athlete and non-athlete. Um, I did kind of just put out a quick call out of maybe some questions that I could get before we talked and I did get some good ones. And and even people talking, like, as I use your methods and ATG methods as well, a lot of questions about, like, is this only for athletes or or um, what would your approach be for a non-athlete? And I'm seeing that through, like, a lot of the real movement coaches that are taking on ATG methods and and your methods are are implementing those with non-athletes general population kind of individuals. but I don't know if you had a different perspective on that. I just wanted to share some of your own opinions on that. Cause I get that question a lot and we did, I did get some people just asking like, if I could ask you about like just your thoughts on like, you know, these methods, you kind of already said it almost with the health and the performance training coming together, yeah. but maybe just like, I don't know if you wanted to
0: say No, I that. have a, I mean, I have a strong opinion about that, which is, I mean, I identify with the non-athlete just as much as the athlete, because when I started coming up with correct methods, I wasn't an athlete anymore because my body was so beat up, I couldn't even play anymore. So this is definitely not a system that can only be used by someone who's in tip-top shape. And that's something I get as well. People are like, oh man, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the best shape. Can I do this? (laughs) That's, that's the time you need it the most. So I, but I think I think guys like you and me, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg and I think we do have to make it sexier. I think, I think CrossFit is a great example. That's someone who is not in a particular sport can do CrossFit and can find an outlet, a sport for themselves. And I just think we have to keep working things to where it can give someone some real goals to shoot for, because that is the only thing that I find is that someone could struggle with motivation because for me my motivation is the pressure that's going to be on me on the basketball court and trying to trying to improve what i can do on the basketball court so it's very easy for me to be driven and motivated but say someone who's not an athlete what keeps them motivated you know what i mean right, right. Yeah. so so yeah to answer that question absolutely 100% we are all human bodies we're all just on There's no absolute athlete or non-athlete. We're all just on some scale of how much we use our bodies. But our bodies are all – our bodies all have these same things in common. They're designed the same way. They have arms and legs and, you know. And so I don't see any difference between athlete and non-athlete when I train them. I don't make a difference at all. I I just look for maybe for the athlete on making sure that he's not over-training. Cause they're often, yeah, yeah. they're often doing too much. But in yeah, terms of the training yeah. itself, there's no difference, but I do encourage, I do encourage non-athletes to look for something that maybe gives them a benchmark of improvement, whether it's a, a once a week game of tennis or whatever they like, you know, whatever they like to do. Um, or I even just encourage them use this to go be the parent who's like, can be super active with your kids. You know, that stuff yes, yeah. that goes a long way. When your parents can do stuff with you when you're growing up, those are, those are memories that kids do not forget. So I don't, I mean, whatever it is, I know for me personally, I would want some physical outlet, but that's why also, I also want to take responsibility over the next decade or so, as we really like, you know, become more formalized in what we do to, uh, you know, to have things that people can shoot for that can make it more of a game that can make it more, you know, uh, more motivating to do because yeah, yeah. that is the one thing I think is that I do think my system would get boring for a non-athlete. It could. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you would use the same In addressing knee pain, you would use
1: the same progressions you use, you yeah. know, with ATG and athletes, you would use the same ones for general population, right? Like, totally. uh, sissy squat, like you can progress all those things. I think I think you are doing those movements in, in a sexy way that intimidate people that yeah. maybe, or other trainers that say like, Oh, would I be able to use that with, you know, addressing knee pain of this client that comes in who's maybe unconditioned and stuff. And you absolutely can. Right. Yeah. In um, modifying it. And uh, yeah, like, yeah, you wouldn't change that
0: at all. They, they scale so well. It's yeah. just, usually in my posts you're not going to see the scaled stuff you're going to see me trying to do the freakiest level i can just to sell my product so that's where there's a balance but people are yeah people are shocked when they see like how low you can really scale these things that's why when i do teach them i try to be like over the top showing like just how low you can scale it and how I, i actually have found that working through pain is like one of the only mistakes you can make because that means you're going you're going a little bit beyond the tolerance of what we want to be handling the load so so the mechanisms the mechanisms we want to be handling the load we don't want to push to the point of going beyond that to the point where then you're actually feeling the pain because if you can put that stimulus then you can adapt a little bit and then you put that stimulus again and then you adapt a little bit more so that's that's really how it works And that's another thing is that people might think they might not be able to do some of these exercises, but they don't understand that when you start working with a six foot nine basketball player who's had a knee surgery, they are starting out worse than any non-athlete I've ever seen. Like they, people don't understand. I used to have almost like a running joke that I would, if a guy started training with me, I'd be like, well, it's not going to be a mystery that your knees hurt until you're stronger than my mom. And, (laughs) And one for one, they... Their knees were not as strong as my mom's. My mom's 120 pounds, 65 years old, and has stronger knees than a 27-year-old pro basketball player who's struggling with knee pain. What do you expect? Yeah. And he's a he's a force. This guy did a a 485-pound trap bar deadlift with no training, just like seeing how strong he was, yeah. Yet, yeah. yet he couldn't squat all the way down and get back up.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. People always relate the athlete to the non-athlete as if, you know, they are so much more physically fit. And they, like Keegan says, "Look, looks right, flies right. Yeah. But sometimes they just look right, but they don't fly right, you know. <laughs> and they, you know, they look like they're, they they could do all these incredible things. And then you get them to do uh, a four-inch reverse step up and they fall right. over. You know? Right. And that's kind of like the big picture there that I think a lot of people don't relate to that or see that. You know, a lot of these athletes start probably even lower than the general population. Right. So
0: they do. They usually have have to start. Yeah. Like when I start a basketball player, I usually have to start them more regressed than your average non-athlete.
1: And And they should be the
0: ones best at it. Basketball players should be the ones best at these exercises since they're, you know, the more you're going to be pounding on your knees, the better you should be at them. But they've been pounded to death. And their strength coaches have avoided their knees, just continuing to jack up their hip power and plyometrics. So they're just, they're actually just like trained into knee problems. They're just right. directed and channeled towards greater and greater knee problems.
1: Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I uh, always go back to when I did a podcast with Jeff Flexible um, was he, he kind of honed in on how you guys make secondary primary yeah and that's kind of like the difference there is where you know traditional strength coaches focus on these primary movements the squat the deadlift um, through full range right away without breaking it down and I, you know I've I've been you know victim of that as a coach as well too in my early days and really what you guys have done really well at is, is take this the secondary accessory movements that were always just kind of like yeah secondary just looked at yeah. you know kind of as a not very important, but just there for whatever. And you've really made them primary movements. And that's been like a big picture with, I think, the turning point in, in the weight room and, you know, yep. the strength
0: coach kind of era that's happening right now. Yeah, I worked with, um, not, to, not to bash anyone, but I worked with an athlete who was trained by one of Charles Poliquin's top disciples. And he came into town to train with me, and I was shocked to find that he himself had had was having continual knee problems, and he had a super strong, deep squat, and is continuing to have knee problems, and I was just really surprised, because he was training with this top, top guy, so I was really dissecting all his training, right, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, like he knew all the stuff we did, and blah, 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 but then we looked over his workout logs, and in the previous year, he'd only done a six-week block of split squats, and it was not an A series, not a B series, but a C series, That never... So, even if you think... I wonder how they would have looked, too. Like,
1: I wonder how the split squat would have looked, right? Like, in terms of mobility. Like, the way you guys... The split
0: squat is just so modern. It's a totally different... Split squats are A1 since day one. Yeah. Not squat. Yeah. (laughs) So, because the split squat... It's nothing against the squat, but the split squat is actually senior to the squat because this guy, like most athletes, did not have two identical knees. One had a little... Mm -hmm cleanup surgery on this the other one has tendonitis on that the other one you know and so so this guy was still struggling with his knees even though he was back squatting like clean ass to grass 500 pounds it was very impressive but even though the trainer knew of the exercises it was still so traditional in terms of Olympic lift, compound lift, and then you basically do a few sets with no energy or intention on your accessory movements. No real energy. You know how much energy and intention it takes to do a split squat or a seated good morning? More exactly. than a squat or a deadlift because you're not just focusing on your strength. Yeah. You have a lot of mobility going on at the same time. Every rep on a seated good morning I had a a guy, two guys train with me in person yesterday at ATG, and we worked on to Good Morning, one from Hong Kong, one from Australia, my standard fee of zero dollars. I don't charge guys in person. If you're listening to this, you want to drop in and train with me. I do that so that I can put my money where my mouth is. I'm an online coach, and I don't take anyone's money in person, no matter how rich they are. I've had uh, near billionaires, and I say, come on down, I'll train you for free. Point is their whole mentality changed on how to train the seat of good morning when they realized how much intention I have on every single rep. So I got them to almost rebuild how they approach it. And then their mobility, you could see instant changes in how much actual stretch they were getting. Mm -hmm. They hit easy PRs in terms of how strong they were. And then now that is going to be laying a, a foundation to, to bulletproof them. But you just have to be realistic with yourself. So I wouldn't even care if a guy did, say a guy did, you know, Monday squat and Thursday split squat. I'd rather have him do that and have full intention than trying to do, like, both in the same day twice a week. Now, everyone has different levels of how much, you know, they can really handle. But it's just an example. I'd rather see a guy break up his training and actually treat his accessory movements as primary movements. And then he'll actually then he'll actually get the result he's looking for. And then his primary movements will actually go up even easier. So even just knowing the right accessory movements, if you treat them like accessory movements, you know, you get what you put energy on. So if you're putting 10 times the energy on your bench press as you do your rotator cuff, you're going to have shoulder problems. Yeah. Yeah, there's so
1: many ways to bastardize those big movements and and manipulate your body around them like you know the back squat you know just trying to find that depth to make it look good but um, again the intention you you can basically with those big lifts you can make yourself not vulnerable even though there's a crazy amount of weight on there but now you're looking at the way you guys have presented these um, what would be thought of as secondary exercises and you've made them vulnerable so it's like when you put a, a trainee into a vulnerable position they're gonna be so much more conscious of what they're doing yeah and um i think that's that's been the big game changer is like now okay see to good morning i have to be so much more conscious of what i'm doing and uh yeah that's been you know a big game changer for sure that vulnerability in the movement for people to see like oh wow my low back is super weak even though yeah. i can squat 500 pounds or I, I can't, I have no VMO strength, even though I yep. can, you know, do all or, this stuff. Yeah. Or
0: your legs are imbalanced from one side to the other, which yeah. is going to just chronically hold back squats. So I actually have from training bobsledders, I actually have a lot of experience with driving up athletes, ask squats, because they have to squat 200 kilo for three reps to get a 100 score. So I trained a group of three bobsledders um, and I got them all to that score with amazing depth but you either find that a guy has naturally stronger hips and is going to run into knee issues or has naturally stronger quads and is going to run into lower back issues and so Mm -hmm. without split squat and seated good morning i would not have been able to just systematically drive up their squat now in the case of the three of them one of them stronger hips chronic plateaued the other one stronger quads chronic plateau because of back issues the third one, though, really pretty even. So he was the easy one. So he did squat, and it just went right up. He was the guy who could squat, and it would just go right up. But the other two couldn't squat as much as him and were just chronically plateaued. Then I put them through split squat and see the good morning to address you know, the weaknesses. They did six weeks of that every damn day. Well, six days a week, split squats and see you good morning. These are savages, you know, just total psychopaths. <laughs> you you wouldn't put the average person through that. Six days a week, split squats and see you good morning. So they did they did no Olympic lifts, no compound lifts. After six weeks, smashed their old smashed their old Olympic lifting and squat numbers. And they then since went off, did their own thing, and none of them have touched the the scores they had when they were training with skinny old me. No joke. They set their PRs training with me have gone off on their own now and can't hit the numbers they were hitting with me when I was training them ass backwards, but getting them to fix the sticking point. And here's a little bonus point for the guy who was like perfectly balanced. He also eventually ran into plateaus, but it was as easy as adding chains to the bar. And I mean, lots of chains. I never had him do squats without chains. We'd only take the chains off for a test. And I got him to that 200 kilos, not including the chains on the bar. So he actually couldn't, I got him stronger with hundred pounds of chains on the bar than he could lift prior to training with me without even having chains on the bar. So that's just in a nutshell right there. You could see how, how to drive up someone's lift, but even the yes. lift itself does not perfectly match the strength curve. A squat is not perfect in terms of what your body's capable of. Every inch out of the hole, you're capable of a little bit more strength. So for a guy with with weaker knees, it's going to make less of a difference. Just drive up his split squat. A guy with weaker back doesn't make as much difference. Drive up his seat of good morning and you look like a miracle coach. But then the guy who is pretty balanced chains every damn session and you just watch the miracles happen. Cool. Very cool.
1: For, for me, I think, well, like I, I've been getting way back into lifting again because and I think one reason is just because I feel so good. I, I, yep. I was, you know, an injury plagued and I got into body weight and flexibility work and almost like was really resistant to going back to weight training because of how shitty I felt last, the last time I had done it. And that's been yep. the game changer for me. I think was with all of this um, ATG work and knee, addressing the knees and the VMO and everything is like, I'm lifting now more than I think I ever have in terms of like quality wise and frequency yeah. wise. But just because I feel good, it's almost more that's the, kind of, the driving point behind it isn't because I want to get stronger. It's just because I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, wow, I, I could squat again. Yeah. you know, I'm just like, I feel like I could just jump on the bar again. And I used to rest five days after a lifting session because I felt so destroyed yeah. um, that that was what I th- the thought. I thought I needed that much rest to get there. And I think one of the game changers for me has been the extra work daily um, with some of the knee stuff is like, you do yeah. see, you know, putting that secondary work to a higher intensity as one light of it. And then seeing that you can use them, you know, body weight wise, like once you get pretty proficient at them, yeah you know, like like the reverse step ups for me are pretty much daily now hitting yep. those reps to warm up and uh that's been a big game changer for me Is just kind
0: of like how you can well here's you know, why that works yeah. here's a really good one for your guys listening i need you to think from your ankle to your hip i need you to think of your muscles and tendons backwards i need you to think of them completely backwards and so the reason why you're getting so much benefit out of this like out of this sort of daily work right It's because your tendons they need more blood flow to actually recover and improve but your muscles like the muscles themselves they need the nervous system and the nervous system just actually needs rest so if you want to improve your your deadlift then yeah like you're gonna have to fucking try hard <laughs> you know <laughs> but if you want to get rid of if you want your knees and your joints to feel really good You actually don't have to take as much rest as you would think, but you do have to get the blood flow to the right areas. So it's very interesting because, and and so the reason this is, if you look at your ankle, because I try to do everything like not in a doctor way, but just like really looking at things um, from just like a function perspective, just function, function, function. And so if you think of ankle strength, well, it's not, we're not talking about the joint, what muscles are around it, calves and tibialis. Those are not big muscles, but the Achilles tendon is the biggest tendon in your body. Now we go up to the knee. Now we talk about knee strength. Again, we're not talking about the actual joint itself. Well, we're talking mostly about the quads and the hamstrings. Those are bigger than your calves and tibialis, but the patellar tendons are smaller than your Achilles tendons. And when we go up one more, the glutes are now the biggest muscle in your body, but with even, even less tendons in your gluteal tendons to the hips. So so your your tendons get bigger as your muscles get smaller and so you're working at like two different factors there and so that's why like for me personally even though my knees feel so great i have a dead i have a treadmill that doesn't work that i got for 45 dollars on Craigslist, and i keep it in my house and i go reverse with it not turned on every day just to get blood flow to achilles and patellar tendons and because I, i'm hooked on that because it keeps my body feeling great and that's why on Tuesday this week, I set another of my unofficial world records that plenty of people could do, but no one's really trying, yeah. although definitely less than 1% of the 1% of the population could do. But the point is other people can do them, which is I did a, a, dunked every minute on the minute for 100 straight minutes. So I did 100 minutes straight dunking every minute on the minute. And the next day, after not Olympic lifting for years, I power snatch my body weight, you know, without even warming up for it. Um, I, I actually did, I did maximal deadlifts first. So I did, a, I did a snatch grip deadlift rather than clean grip because snatch grip keeps it just a little bit safer that you're not going to go too far. But every rep, I, every rep, if I can get it up, now I'm trying to fight it down as an RDL, putting that thing down as quietly as I can. So again, the guy I trained with here from Hong Kong, he could get it up easily, but could not. The weight would come crashing down when he would try to lower it down in an RDL because his quads are stronger than his lower back. So for him, his lower back will always be a sticking point unless he addresses that. So we did those first all the way up to a maximum. Now you take the weight off. Now that power snatch feels really light. Not for an Olympic weightlifter, because they're seasoned in it, but for a guy like me who doesn't Olympic weightlift, that it's less about technique and more about that weight just feeling freaking light. Yeah. And so I did one rep at 60 kilo, one rep at 70 kilo, and one rep at 80 kilo. I weigh 80 kilo, and that was it. That was my session. And <laughs> I, I had never been able to power snatch. I'd been able to power snatch almost body weight, but not, not quite. I never got to body weight power snatch. So here I am doing a, a new record for myself after not lifting olympic lifting in a couple years it just goes to show that there's you know there's a lot to know about training and and all the rules of training are not known you know there's a lot of rules that we're still uncovering and just by working on isolation movements and flexibility i pr'd the very lift which is the number one test of athleticism is a power snatch and so um and i did that the day after my 100 dunks so it's like you said, like when your body feels good, you want to do something with it. You, yeah. Yeah. you know, yesterday we were doing our, our team podcast, drinking my vanilla latte. Cause one of the guys got an iced vanilla latte. So I'm like, let <laughs> me try this shit. And by the end of it, I want to lift, you know what I mean? And it's like, geez, like I had already done my super high altitude drops that day, the day before that basketball, the day before that, all the lift. I mean, I've been doing I've been doing crazy stuff nonstop all week and I wanted more. I can promise you as soon as we hang up, I'm going outside to my little studio gym because my blood starts flowing. I start thinking about training and I want to do something. He's an energizer bunny. Oh, that's my wife. (laughs) But I'm really not really a lazy. I'm really a lazy piece of shit. It's just (laughs) you find things that work. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's
1: like I'll be, you know, Jones in to get in here and do some post chain work, but then my wife will be like, did you rake the leaves? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't have as much energy to go do that, but I don't need to get it done. But, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the aspects of it for me is just, like, it, every day I just feel like I could lift again. It's been amazing. And then I think it is, to the community, too, you know, being uh, dialed in and linked in with Keegan and you and Jeff, Mr. Infinity, like the daily, just seeing what you guys are doing daily. Um yeah. You know, just like, I don't know what it is. It's just the, you see that stuff and it's like a totally different mindset. Like a switch goes off and you just feel like, yeah. I see you guys do that. See you in good morning. And I'm like, I got to go do that right now. Or <laughs> the, What was the, you were playing with the kneeling, uh, oh, yeah, doing yeah. kneeling body weight. I don't even know what
0: that was, but I was That's like, I, really what, yeah. do that. I don't yeah. know what it was either. <laughs> I don't know what it was either. But, but basically I'm trying to figure out, you know, for Olympic lifting guys, how to do it. Because that is a, it's kind of like basketball is a skill sport, right? So, yeah. Olympic weightlifting is the same thing. And so, there's a lot of skill involved. You do have to practice it a lot. So, how do you practice it a lot, but have your body feeling great? And if you look at the Chinese, they have like the healthiest bodies of Olympic weightlifters, not perfect, but much healthier. And even, in the Chinese camps, they say, okay, what's the difference between the guy who's national level and the guy who wins the gold medal in the Olympics? Flexibility. Yeah. Now, I want you to think about a different camp. Average bros in Las Vegas. You know what I'm talking about? John bros?
1: Oh, yeah, John bros. Okay. Yep.
0: I have a ton of respect for him. But I've also been there in person and trained with him in Las Vegas. Number one, ton of respect for him. Number two even though when you walk in you're like scared shitless because he looks really intimidating and he looks like he's an (laughs) asshole. He's one of the nicer guys you'll ever meet in terms of being a genuine person. Yeah. I didn't know shit about Olympic lifting. I was there because I fell in love with knees over toes and he took the kindness out of his day to help me out. And he had no idea who I was or anything. I was just a random ass person who paid his 20 bucks or whatever to do a day pass. Um, and my, my lifting form was probably horrible, and, and he, rather than cursing me out, he was super nice. But I do just want to point out that they do center things on just doing those lifts, and I think, they prove, I think they prove the power in the practice side of it, except they are not as healthy as the guys who are then taking care of their body in addition to that. It's the same with basketball. It's the same with basketball that you best skill coaches in the world, their players are also struggling. So I, I, that's kind of what I'm looking at is how, you know, how do you get someone? That's like my system, you know, you can do these some of these daily things and you can keep playing basketball and feel amazing rather than quit your team, you know? So it's the same for, it's the same for Olympic weightlifting. That's kind of what I was experimenting there, but I think there's a way to to kind of perfectly integrate the skill of the sport with the accessory movements you need for it, whether it be powerlifting. You know, your skill would be bench squat deadlift, Olympic lifting now gets even a little bit more technical, you know, Um, and then now say something like baseball. They're out there with their dicks in their hands, pissing into the wind with their training for the most part. I'm not saying they're all bad, but for the most part, because it's so technical that then they don't know where to channel their energy. Um, so, and again, that's not all, but it's I've seen a lot of really bad baseball training. You know, once it gets to sports like basketball, baseball, soccer, where they're technical, technical, technical all day long, the players are already hurting by the time they even get old enough to have strength coaches. And so now the strength coaches are trying to avoid, you know, all the problem areas in the weight room. And then the strength coaches have the pressure to look cool and to be either driving up, you know, the bench press or the speed ladder or whatever it is, that is just not what the athlete needs. So I know I kind of ranted a little bit there on different things, but the point is still the... We're, we're trying to figure it out rather than saying, it's okay to have knee surgeries. It's okay to wake up with daily back pain. It's okay to have imbalances between one side and the other. I think strength coaches used to laugh at stuff like that. It's okay to not touch your toes, but have a strong deadlift. It's not okay. And I think that's, that's ultimately what I'm trying to say is that, you know, every day I just wake up to keep helping people not be in pain. So then how much more fun is it when you can do your lift or whatever it is without pain, you know? Yeah. And exploring the boundaries of like outside the box. Yeah. That's,
1: you know, not being satisfied with whatever the presentation this year is of how, how you should, you know, lift weights or whatever. It's just think outside the box because life is outside the box. Like you can't say that, you know, moving in a linear fashion in the weight room is going to make you be prepared, right? So, yeah. yeah, maybe not knowing what it was you were creating with the kneeling squat there, but knowing that that is an aspect that someone could be presented with. You know, that's what we want to be doing is is creating those different ways of of looking at kind of the big picture, right?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. For anyone's listening, because I didn't make a. I didn't make a post on it. It was just on my story, so it's gone. But So, imagine just a nice quality, just imagine like an ass-to-grass back squat. So, what I was doing is I took one of my feet, I put it behind. Some people may have seen something like this, like a kickstand squat, something of that nature. So, specifically what I was going for was a nice hamstring cover the calf squat, except with one leg behind me a bit, the other leg, I'm going knee to floor. So. So that was like cheeks to sneaks. Like my glute is like on my Achilles. I'm getting actually, you know what I felt the most on that plantar fascia stretch. Yeah. Really nice plantar fascia stretch. And now out of the bottom I'm pausing. And then I'm really thinking with that back leg, the one that's all the way knee to floor, because it's like with Olympic weightlifting, when you catch in the bottom position, it's not always going to be in a perfect world. And so the idea for me on that one was that maybe it could be used as an assistance exercise for Olympic weightlifters so that a normal Olympic lift now becomes like easy to catch because you're prepared for your knees even way farther. Um, so that that's the concept I was going for. I found I had to modify it. Number one, I don't like just slamming your knee into the ground. So I stood one foot on a plate and then the other foot I I – I brought the knee to a pad. So I put a pad on the floor so that I was still standing like even height on the ground, but with one knee resting on a pad on the floor instead of just right on the hard ground. I liked it for, for really connecting with that back leg. You talk about, you talk about driving up quad strength and getting insane ankle mobility. Really nice. It's like a, you know, a loaded ankle mobility drill, but In my core beliefs on what makes an exercise work, it is a little bit harder to just channel your strength and know how much that back leg is pushing. So whereas like a split squat, there's just no gray area the way I teach a split squat. There's zero gray area. So I didn't find that version of squat useful enough to keep in because I don't like so much drills. I like measurable, strict things because I do believe in those principles of driving up strength. Yeah. So that's where I think some people who identify with what I do, they actually kind of miss the big picture. And they think of the exercise I do as as nice little, you know, dinky assistance exercises like we were talking about. But they miss the value in actually dedicating dedicated year-long strength work and where that can get you. And so, yeah. Yeah. so split squat, seated good morning, and neck press are still my three – exercises of choice as assistance exercises for Olympic lifting even though I was trying a bunch of other crazy shit (laughs) which is I yeah
1: Um, I wanted to just kind of turn the discussion now more towards flexibility because you know part of your journey to like really appealing to me is in like along with all the strength aspects as well as like unlocking this superior flexibility is demonstration you know you'll watch your channel and see you dunk and then drop into splits yeah. and um, just unheard of kind of for most people like outside of our community for sure um, so kind of directing the conversation that way can we talk about like the early stages of your flexibility journey to where it is now where I think you're more on like a maintenance kind of level now where you can you know Yes,
0: yes. Kind of discuss I discussed that. Yeah. I, I absolutely love this subject, the subject of flexibility. So, my first experience with it was basically, you know, growing up as a kid thinking you're stretching. Cause, like, on every basketball team, the coaches are usually doing their best and they're like, they make you stretch as a team. But these are like 10 second holds in like a, a, a few garbage stretches. Yeah. And, and that 10 seconds is probably more like five seconds as fast as we're counting so most athletes are actually just like completely wasting their time when they're stretching and then then I got into all the functional stuff and should it be dynamic stretching and all the foam rolling and before I knew it I had like a 45 minute warm up yet my knees were still shit blah 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 makes me want to vomit when I think back to it Um, then I thought Flexibility was a waste of time because I got really good at hamstring stretches. So I thought, oh, I'm flexible. Why do I still have problems? Because that's one freaking area of flexibility. Right. And that is where some bullshit statements come out. The most famous basketball trainer right now has tons of teenagers everywhere worried about hypermobility. Number one. All right. I doubt any teenage basketball players are listening to Strength Podcast. They should be. <laughs> But if they are, or if you have a teenage kid who plays sports, I can promise you they are not going to be hypermobile. They are the last people on earth who need to be hypermobile. Um they are so tight, it's a problem. So, but he has them worried about it because he made a statement, not based on any studies, just his observation that the more flexible athletes are the ones with more injuries. And I would immediately argue that guys who have had a lot of injuries who are still at the professional level are fighting and clawing their way to stay at the top and do anything they can to get an advantage. And that's why they're stretching. They weren't flexible and got hurt because they were flexible. They're stretching because they've been through injuries and they're just doing everything they can. It was the same with me. I had the injuries. Then someone could have observed, oh, wow, this guy's flexible. Yet had horrible knee injuries, but I was flexible before the knee injuries. I got flexible after them because I was trying, and I really wasn't stretching hardly at all what I needed for my knees. So that that right off the bat, you can see that there's a lot of like false ideas that get that get going about flexibility and sports training. Number one, I can just promise you that if you're playing a sport, you're not too flexible. End of story. Yeah. Number. Number two is that if you think you're flexible, you're probably not. You're probably flexible in like one or two stretches. Right. right, right. Um, and even those, you're probably even not that flexible. You're probably just more flexible than the other guys who, you know, on your team. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I was. I never even could do a palms to floor pike or anything, but I could touch my toes easily. No one else could. Oh, man, how do I still have pain in my body? I can touch my toes. <laughs> Well, like I said already a couple of times, just one area of flexibility. Right. Then I got into flexibility because I found that the movements that I really needed strength-wise actually relied on a lot of flexibility. But this is where it took a turning point for me is I decided for myself that, you know, When my mission really became to make other athletes healthy, and when I could see that I did have tools that work for athletes, I was always trying to operate on how little do I need? Not how much can I add to a program? How little do I need? So I've been through many phases of trying to like not stretch at all and see if I can just get away with certain stuff. Well, let me tell you, after some years of that, I stretch every day now. So what does that tell you? It's just the yin to the yang of strength training. And my original mentor there, Charles Poliquin, told me in person that his number one regret in life was not getting into flexibility sooner. And so if I'm a guy who wants, I want to use the least tools I have to possible. And as you can see with some of my movements, I've got great. um, I can do a front splits without doing any uh, stretching for hip flexors and for hamstrings because of split squat, ATG style split squats, Jefferson curls, Romanian deadlifts. But as soon as we get into the groin stuff and into the piriformis stuff, so as soon as we get into lateral movement, it just gets a little bit trickier to load. Not to mention when I just go with the approach of, okay, I'll maintain my front splits with split squat and and Jefferson curl, your calves start getting tight. And, and then your, your rectus femoris starts getting tight and that can start tugging on your knee and giving you symptoms of knee tendonitis. So most guys have actually like really tight quads and they don't realize it. And then most guys have super tight adductors and groin and piriformis. And that really makes their knees and back feel janky. So I don't know if janky is a word, but, (laughs) but for me, janky is a word and (laughs) If you just try to think that you can do it without stretching, I've just tried it so many times and the jankiness level just keeps going up. And when you don't feel janky, though, you want to go move your body. You know what I mean? So I think so many times in life we just think, oh, what if I could just do one thing and neglect another thing? And if I only had to do one thing and then it's like, ah, shit, it's really the balance that was needed. Yeah. And so at the very least, if you want to be your best, at the very, very least, the stretching is relaxing your nervous system and you're going to get better recovery. Mm-hmm. So even if you just do it from a perspective of letting your muscles relax, mm-hmm. my dog is not even two. He's much faster than me, although I'm working on it and he <laughs> stretches every day. You can see him like constantly like limbering up and stretching and it's just. I look at that and I'm like, our bodies want to just like, just like they like really good strength training, they like really good flexibility work. Yeah. And, and I just haven't seen anything that matches working on both of them. And I've seen a lot of guys fail by working on one or the other. Cause I've also seen guys who do really intense stretching programs, but since they're not doing strength work, it's kind of easier for them to get into those little, like, those little tweaks and, like, you know what I mean? The little strains. Cause I feel like if you're not strengthening your hamstrings at all, and then you're just stretching the crap out of them, you can kind of end up with like with some strains going on. Yep. And so again, I, I feel like you can feel janky either way if you're <laughs> so, so yeah, I spend, I like to spend about 12 minutes a day working on 90, 90 internal, external kind of stretching, like yep. internal, external hip rotation kind of stretching. Um, I like to stretch my calves every day. As I said, I do as little as I possibly need. And I really like to work on like couch stretch. And with all these stretches, I'm just relaxing. I'm just chilling. I'm not, I'm not ripping stuff apart. And if I played other sports, I'd go even farther than that. You know, if I was a, a hockey goalie, I, I would have my middle splits down. You know, like So I still do what I think is the bare minimum that I need to feel amazing on the basketball court. But even that minimum, I stretch like 20 minutes a day. Um, but I but I do center it around those areas, external, internal hip rotation, calves, and and like rectus femoris stretching because I, I am doing Jefferson curls and weighted butterflies and split squats and yeah. and so I actually am stretch like my strength movements cover a lot. Yeah, I think you're you're really
1: isolating it there too, because I actually have found myself doing the exact same daily routine is the 90, 90 internal, external calves and rectus femoris. Cause I, yeah, I think that when you do look at those big um, demonstrations of flexibility, those areas aren't really isolated. Yeah. And, and those areas tend to be the ones that we are tight in on a, on a daily basis, you know, like yeah. the quads, ankles, um, glute med, um, internal hip rotation. Like th- those yeah. are, Kind of like those are the big
0: four that um, maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about for sure. and I I I find people can be – yeah, you take an athlete who's gotten to the pro level and almost exclusively those areas are so neglected, they're Mm -hmm. so tight, and they they honestly believe that daily knee and back pain is part of life. Yeah. Yeah, for
1: sure. Um, We've had – a couple back and forth discussions a little bit about like juggling and yeah (laughs) like i guess when when we refer to that we think about like in real movement we we use it as like you know training the mind connecting hands to the brain feet to the brain things like that with different aspects um and i know you've played with it a little bit but uh do you have any other mechanisms of training the mind or addressing kind of like metaphysical aspects of training like in your own way that you don't present as much
0: or totally, totally. I mean, for one thing, when I step foot on a basketball court, I lace up my shoes and then I do a very extensive and precise two basketball dribbling workout. Oh before, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Before I start playing basketball, I've already dribbled two basketballs any way that I'll possibly dribble one basketball. And I make my whole troop of guys do it and I get the NBA guys to buy into it and everyone buys into it. So if I can get these guys to buy into it, something about that is working. Um, so it's not like I sit down and have like an interview with each guy after to ask them about the, the mental aspects of it. But um, so I, I essentially do my own version of of juggling, which is which is doing these actually really hard to do. Like it's it's something I do that if you haven't practiced it like a thousand hours, I promise you just can't do it. You know what I mean? And so, but it has a, you can, anyone, anyone, like I've taken kids who have never played basketball before and they're like family friends and they just want to start playing basketball. And I start them with those drills and you know what? They dedicate and they can eventually do it. So like anyone can do it just like juggling. I'm sure you don't start guys off and be like, ah, this guy's never going to make it. (laughs) You know, like if you put in the work, you'll get there. And you know, it's very interesting because, I've had guys who are dorkier and who have less control over their body. Some of the most book smart guys can take much longer to get down the two ball dribbling, but they eventually do get it down. And that works wonders for their control on the basketball court. So I do think there's a lot of things going on there from the coordination of your body to, I I work often on a scale that at the bottom you would have not know like where you just don't know what's going on and that would usually be someone when they start and then as you come up you get to where you you can think about it and that's more than not even knowing but you have to think about it and then at the top is just know and it's like you don't even have to think about it but it's not like you're just shutting off your mind it's actually like a much higher state where you just know where something's going to be you know what's going to happen and i feel like that's the level that you're trying to get at whether it be a lift or a sport or whatever, where you just know, and you have that full confidence. And so like, that's what we're trying to get to with our two basketball dribbling drills. Um, so I think it has strong effects mentally on your confidence and coordination. And then with with that in place. And this is where there is something going on mentally, because I teach guys how to break down like if you were to watch a basketball game, and if you were to notice the guy in the game who is the best at faking people out with his dribbles and with his footwork and stuff, right? There's, so there's a lot going on with footwork in basketball, and that's one of the things I teach. And I'm telling you one for one, the better someone is at these two-ball drills, the easier it is for them to pick up footwork. So what's going on with that? It's the wildest thing. And every time someone's struggling with footwork, I just tell them more two-ball dribbling, more two-ball dribbling quit bitching and moaning more two ball dribbling. You just haven't put in the work yet. And they get the two ball dribbling down and then it's so easy to pick up their footwork. So there's something going on there just in terms of being able to control your body without thinking about it. Cause you don't have time on an Olympic lift to be thinking, you know how many different things happen,
1: even on a squat
0: or a deadlift, there's a lot of different things happening. So in training, of course, like there's things you can put your, your intention on, but a lot of things still have to happen on their own without thinking about it. And I think that's where, I think that's where it helps. I think it makes more confident athletes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And my, my thing too with like most lifts or other other exercises when I'm coaching people is only think of one or two cues.
0: That's and a great. Evaluate,
1: yeah. Evaluate how that set went afterwards and see what you need to like, what one or two cues you need to work on, on the next one. Cause yep. there's,
0: 30 cues for, for all things. Right. And yep. that's, that's exactly of- what I do. And yeah. I think I, I've, I just do one, you know what I mean? So whether it's a lift, I'm coaching a guy in the gym or whether we're going into an actual basketball competition where we're doing, where we're, where we're playing against each other one-on-one, I try to get guys to think about just one aspect, which is almost like their weak link. And then if you channel yeah. all your intention on that weak link, then you can actually bring up that weak link. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's definitely something to it that, you know, that the more, the more meant, you know, the more you can control your body, um, with your mind, the better results you're going to get. For sure, sure. Um,
1: I did get a, a couple questions here, um, just to tie in a little bit. I don't want to keep you too long. I appreciate you taking yeah. the time. To sit down oh yeah. On, on I, no, I, but... I really appreciate it.
0: I've been yeah. dying to talk to you for a while. <laughs>
1: But uh, a good question that came up was, uh, what you know, with all this the work on the knees and everything, like obviously related to lower body and feet and stuff, is what's your thought on training barefoot?
0: Oh Um, yeah, I mean that's that's another really good question, and it's for me, it's it's again, I live for my clients, and so it's not always realistic that people are just going to be like in commercial gyms training barefoot or things like that. So so everything I do, I try to do as simple as possible first and at the moment i'm just not running into any sticking points um by training with shoes on so like 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 at my gym some people will even ask oh can i take my shoes off hell yeah go for it you know what i mean but it's not something that i found i have to make people do to get the results that i'm trying to create could you get even more benefit you probably could you know what i mean but um it's for the same reason that i don't I don't force people to eat only a specific diet or another when they're trying to rebuild their knees. I find that I find that's not a, a sticking point when you're rebuilding your knees. So it's the same with, it's the same with barefoot, but I, in general, I encourage guys to wear shoes that, that sure as heck don't cut off your ankle mobility, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you will notice a lot of guys like I don't wear barefoot shoes, but I wear $19 water shoes off Amazon. That's what you see me doing all my lifts in, from my power snatch to my altitude. I'm doing those altitude drops. I'm doing my squats, power snatches, whatever, wearing $19 shoes with no laces off Amazon. So I'm definitely getting more of a feel of the ground. That's for sure. You know, like they're very like flimsy. Uh, they're very flimsy shoes. And even, even in basketball, I've been looking for years for like a zero drop basketball shoe. It doesn't exist, but there's one shoe that was made like four years ago that, that I finally found a couple of weeks ago, and it's been my favorite shoe I've ever worn. And it's almost like they made it for a player who's known for playing really low to the ground, having really quick feet and like being really grippy on the floor. So if you imagine, yeah. the, if you imagine the heel of the shoe, normally a basketball heel is like this big cushion to try to give you more shock absorption Mm. but i i want less i want to be feeling the ground and so this shoe it just starts to curve up so the whole shoe is like curves up in the back so that you don't have this big heel cushion so right off the bat like day one when i wore them i had so much of that good doms in like the tibialis muscles no joint pain at all no shin splint pain but just like so much good doms in the lower leg muscles the way I wanted because I could I could feel like I was I was handling more of the force myself and that's what I want so then I can adapt so I'm already feeling quicker better in these shoes so yeah I I look for more minimalistic style but I don't go full-on barefoot because it's just not conducive for my lifestyle and I don't want to be I don't want to be using something and making something integral in my program that not everyone's going to do, you know, most basketball players, they're too cool for school. Like they're really worried about wearing the latest stylish shoes. So, you know, if if I know they're going to be wearing those shoes, I need to know my program still works. So, you know, again, maybe, maybe someday I'll, I'll dive deeper into that. But at the moment I look for, I look for a more minimalistic style, but still with, you know, enough cushion. I'm, I'm, I walk my dog all the time. So that's why, that's why I originally got these, these water shoes. So knock on wood, I haven't stepped in shit since I got them. But <laughs> when you step and poop in nice shoes, <laughs> so good. I, I just throw them away. So, <laughs> um, so that's why I switched to these water, sh- like $19 shoes, which are very minimalistic. And same with the basketball shoes. As you can see, I want something that's it's, so it's still a basketball shoe, you know what I mean? But it's for being a basketball shoe, it's more minimalistic. Awesome! Uh, congrats on the launch of the the clothing line. Oh, uh, appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to you getting the shorts. I can't um, wait. It's hard to find a good, like, specific pair of shorts for sure, like with the lifting and everything that are, um, I guess. I guess the other aspect too is the flashiness of it too. Um, yeah, you know, looking forward to showing up. I think you're gonna like
0: them. I think you're really gonna like them. The functionality is all there. Yeah. One thing I like is they stay totally dry. They're very comfortable. Um, and I mean, even for me, they've got like a zipper pocket in the back, which is really subtle. So when I yeah. play basketball, I've got my my wedding ring in my back pocket. I don't like leaving it like in my shoe or something on the sideline. You know what I mean? So, so it's they're very versatile for guys. But, yeah, they're, they're a little bit flashier, and to me that matters because it's like just getting that mind-muscle connection with my legs, being a guy who used to specialize in the long pants, you know, wife beater in long pants. <laughs> no leg day, you know what I mean? We need to see a pic of uh, those days soon. Oh, my God. I mean, my before and after, you can see my legs were twigs, and my upper body was pretty massive. Um, but <laughs> the, the point is it's a – I think for guys who have been through knee surgeries and stuff – It's a badge of courage to figure out how to grow your legs back. And so it's, so the shorts are a little more meaningful to me and it's me and my wife, you know, I'm an online coach now, so I'm home a lot. So she really runs the shorts business. She does all the the hard work. I just, I just help market them. That's all her. So it gives her, it gives her a business to keep herself busy with, to create on. Then, you know, me and her by having a business together, it turns our leisure time into productive work time. Yeah. This shorts thing is something we never had to start as a total, totally wild idea, and we're already making extra money. And then once they'll be here, and they arrive in America in like two days or something. So as soon, like, once we can really get rolling, because we just ordered, we open up the pre-sale so we could get like all the shipping labels ready, and you know what I mean. We don't want them to, we don't want to be taking people's orders and then have to like make the shipping level. We want to be ready so that we can get them out. Cause it looks like December 2nd, I think is the day we can like send them out. So that's like, you know, we want to fire them out. So everyone has them before Christmas. But the point is five, 10 years from now, you know, we'll probably be set financially anyways, but then have a whole different line of income that we did in our free time when we could have been watching Netflix. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, and it's not like we don't still watch something if we want. But the point is that that's time you're going to be spending with your spouse anyways. I, I highly recommend if you can have a business with your spouse because it increases. You still get your quality time together, but it's something like creating for your future. So, yes, yes. And, it's, and it's something also as well that I know how responsible we are as people. I'm not a greedy person. But I almost feel a duty to like if I can have successful businesses that make money, I want to because I know I'm going to be one of those people who's using the money for good reasons. You know, so me and my wife have a lot of different humanitarian goals from from silly stuff like, you know, trying to make a difference for, you know, for dogs and and animal shelters and stuff like that. So it's like if we if we have people are going to be buying clothes anyways, you know what I mean? What's wrong with us taking a little chip out of that market and and doing some good with it or whatever, you know? So as soon as you talk about anything like that, it can get all political and then people are like, why aren't you a vegan? And then I'm like, I just take the post down. But you you get my point is that there's nothing wrong with having a quality business, especially if you're a person that's going to be using that overall, you know what I mean? It's going to be using that money for good. So it's just... It fits with our lifestyle very well.
1: Um, where where are things at right now
0: with your your dream to play in the NBA? Four years four years out. Four so, years out. Yeah, I made a five year plan last year to get yeah. to the NBA. So the the plan centers around me getting really really freaking good. And you don't see the highlights online when I'm playing against pros because that's just not that's just not good karma to be like putting your your people on social media you know what I mean but again I I told you they're not listening to this one so I tell you I'm, I'm kicking ass against against I'm kicking ass against you know really high level players but I have to get if you want to get there with no pedigree that's just a different you got to be a different breed so for one thing I I can have I can have no weak links I need to be even freakier athletic I need to be To where I can never have a bad shooting day. I need to be, I need to basically try to be the best point guard in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I need to be training like I I have to be training some of the most famous basketball players in the world and and have them where they're just looking at it kind of like, shit, this guy, he's better than our backup point guard on my team, you know, like give him a shot. And so my whole angle at it is that four years from now, I think I'll be good enough and well-known enough as a trainer that that multiple NBA teams will want me to be their strength coach. And so if multiple teams want me to be their strength coach, if I can even make them 20% healthier, they get 15 roster spots. 20% healthier is more than one roster spot. So you might as well just give me a roster spot, but that's my price. Like, I'm not working for any of you. But then if different teams want me to be the strength coach, One team might come to the table and say, Shit, we want you to be the strength coach enough that we'll give you a roster spot. Then the rest is up to me to, you know, to be my obsessive self and figure out, uh, you know, how to produce.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. I I think you'll get there sooner than four years, man. Uh, Well, I appreciate that. But I do everything pretty conservatively. I'd rather beat my expectations, you know, and uh, then set things that aren't as realistic. Because I think most people underestimate, you know, oh, I want to, like, right now is probably the key time that people are like, I want to add 50 pounds to my squat by Christmas or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> all right, but if, you could add, if you can add 10 pounds a week to your squat, so you're going to add, what, 520 pounds in the next year? You know, like, it's, I think people look at short-term goals, and they don't reflect them against long-term goals. So, mm-hmm. I try to reflect them against long-term goals, um, and then, if anything you know, beating it is fine, but I think some people actually set themselves up for failure by trying to rush things. Yeah, for
1: sure. Definitely. That's the key, right? Is like not looking at the big picture as to why you're doing it and, um, but finding ways to keep your head in the game so that you keep doing it. That's kind of like, you know, the fine point there, like the, the tricky, tricky area.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you get this a lot. Like, how yeah. long will it take me to do a splits oh yeah that's well first off ravi patel 23 who i don't know <laughs> anything about you that you literally just said hi how long will it take me to do a splits <laughs> i have no idea where you are right now yeah that's it right. and what what is the time like so it's like 6 weeks like would that be worth it but then like 12 weeks wouldn't cuz then if you try to do it in 6 you, you might get hurt just trying you know anyways yeah. i could probably I could probably interview you on a podcast with only <laughs> that question of people asking you, how long will it take me to do blah? And that's uh, that's kind of been the
1: big project with Keegan, you know, in bringing side split to the forefront in a different yeah. aspect, in a different way is like, I think too, and what you guys have been doing with ATG has kind of brought that together as well to say like, well, what, Cause that is something you do want to consider. Like what you were saying is like, what's the minimal amount of work that I need to do to get there. And that's kind of been part of my research into the splits has been once I unlocked the splits or however long it took me to get there was like, what's the minimal amount of work that someone needs to do after I did all these things that were kind of a little crazy. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of what we're honing in on or, you know, like
0: that's what I look for is the simplest route. I don't, I'm not thinking about the the time, you know, Yeah. and I get, I get these questions on, Hey, I've had patellar tendonitis for the last four years. How long will it take me to get rid of it? What really matters is, can I get rid of it? And yes, you can, (laughs) but like you've had it for four years. So then it's like, who, like does it matter? Six or eight weeks? Like you've had it for four. (laughs) But, but definitely I think, um, I was even going to ask you, one of the things I was going to ask you in this conversation was because I've never gotten to a a middle splits. I've never even gotten close really. Um, But I can do like a front splits, but not a middle splits. Mm -hmm. And I know you being in Canada and I've seen different, different like hockey goalies and stuff, you know, often have to get into that position and just you having more experience. So for someone of my height, my crossover move It's not so much about the quickness of the ball. It's actually like how quickly and how far I can fake in one direction and then go the other direction. It's not the ball that actually makes the move work. It's your foot. It's how far your foot, because the defender has to react. If your foot goes there, he's got to react. So do you think getting to a middle split would have an effect on my crossover? In a positive way? Yeah, yeah.
1: Maybe I have to see where you're at with your middle split. Okay. I'm going to...
0: All right. Do you think that me being a strength coach, predominantly for basketball players, but you see all the stuff I do. Yeah. Um, will I gain new perspective by getting to a middle splits as well? Is it worth the time? Or not really the time, but it's like, is it worth... Should I get to it so that I know what it's like?
1: Well... Maybe the, maybe the question like the thought or the perception of the question has to change is, do you have to get there? Maybe isn't the case, but should you train it? Should I train it? Right? Good point. Good point. So if you, the split squat itself is really just the widest squat your body can obtain.
0: Yeah.
1: It's the same pelvic position as a squat once you get to that end range. Yeah. So when it comes to training range, why not train that range and not even have the mindset of saying, does it even matter if I get there? I'm still addressing that that lengthened groin position. I'm getting stronger. Your range will get lower probably, but it's not even a stressor of whether or not you get there. I think it's just training that range.
0: Yep. Uh, And I have trained guys and myself weighted butterfly. Like, so putting some dumbbells on your knees, weighted butterfly knees to floor. To me, as yeah. a standard for being a basketball player, sure. to me, sure. to me, like I've done that with basketball players. I've yeah. never trained myself towards middle splits. I've never trained basketball players towards middle splits, but I have trained them and myself to knees to floor weighted butterfly. Yeah. And to me, to me, that's huge. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And so I think I think it could be I think it might be. I'm, I'm going to jump on it and uh, and, and train it. Yeah, and and two, with the,
1: I guess, looking at your strength in a standing position, um, what's your strength look like, right? And horse stance is good. Horse stance is more hip-specific, but like straight leg straddle stance, if you want to call it that, like that's more specific to that straight leg position and and adductor groin kind of strength. So there has to be, I think, an address of both there, like horse stance and straight leg um like straddle like where you're at you see a lot of us in the real movement you've probably seen like keegan and and i and some others doing like that standing straddle kind of push up yep like that's kind of a good way to unload and load that end range and maybe just address that strength but yeah there's lots of stuff to we could do a probably whole podcast on side split if you wanted to well
0: i I do think yeah i'm just saying i'm gonna i'm gonna train it because also, I have a lot of martial artists reach out and I feel like that would have a lot of carryover there. Yeah. Uh, and so the the benefits I've had from getting to front split, I think I'll just I think I'll feel even better if I get to middle split. So and that, I mean so I'm gonna do it. So when we when we end off this call, I'm gonna start uh I'm gonna look up your so where will I tell my followers? Like when we finish this podcast, I'm gonna tell my followers if anyone wants to join me getting to middle split. Uh, where do I tell them to to find your middle split protocol? That's, That's on a, the real movement, real movement. Uh, athlete. Good. Then I'll, I'll like, tag real movement and I'll tag yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna work towards it and see. For me, I really don't even have a, a thought on the time. It's not about the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah
1: Performance wise, like with everything you're talking about, it's it is about I think
0: addressing that
1: strength in that range, like, you know, you don't necessarily need to do a side split or maybe,
0: um, look like to how to long it's going to it, gonna you know. take, but I'd like to get to it to know what it's like at that level. Same with like, I don't think someone has to achieve a front split, but I sure as hell think you can and should. So I'm going to try to get the middle split. I'm trying to be like, basically like Bruce Lee on a basketball court. if <laughs> you could imagine. That's my style. That would be, that's that would be my awesome. style of play. Like I'm just, an ultimate pest. So.
1: <laughs> you can definitely set yourself up for it. I think for
0: sure. Good, good. Well, I'm going to tell them to, to get on there with me and uh, try to get some, some motivation going and get some, get a group of guys going towards the middle split. I'm going to tag Jeff. Cause I think he could do it at one time, but I don't oh. think he can right now.
1: Yeah. So. I, like, definitely think he could uh, be smashing that out of the park. He just hasn't been working on it as much. I think is.
0: Yeah. So I want to, I want to know what that's like. Um, all right I'm, I'm excited man I've I've looked up to you since the day I first saw you because I saw you could do things that I was like shit I know I know range of motion and this guy knows range of motion even better than I do and so I've been yeah I've been pretty fascinated ever since then so I'm excited to learn more from you
1: thanks man I appreciate that um, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me um, I look forward to sharing this with everyone and uh, working together with you a little closer. Love it, man. I'm excited. Okay man. Um, I'll end it off there, and uh,
0: we'll be chatting more offline soon.: Yeah, and if, and if anyone didn't hit end yet, whenever someone takes the time to do a podcast with me, I always give them for, their, for, for anyone listening, ATG 15 gets them 15 bucks off their first uh, month with us online. It's 50 bucks a month, but there's no long-term contract. And that's how much I personally take out myself, like as my cut. So that's basically my way of like, you know, this is free marketing, you know, it's the great thing about collaborating with other people. And so I try to invite people if they want to try it. I try to make it a little bit easier on their wallet to try it. So they could even do, so the bare minimum, you could even do a $34.50, learn all my stuff, cancel at the end of the month and go on your way. But that's like, that's the lowest I can get.
1: Awesome! awesome.
0: I'll make sure I uh, promote that in the notes as well. Sweet. Appreciate that. All right, Ben. All right, man. Enjoy. We off? With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.